this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. was a newsworthy year for film. After three years of pandemic-induced cratering, the box office came roaring back thanks in part to the marketing and artistic triumph that was Barbieheimer. The year saw a slew of notable releases from directing legends and bold new voices that will make it one of the most competitive Oscar races in recent years. And after grueling, months-long strikes, both the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA won major concessions from the studios, a good step for creators in the film industry going into the future. There was clearly lots to celebrate when it came to movies this year, so join us as our panelists share their favorite movies as the great pop culture debate presents the best films of 2023. I really value when people use violence for me. It's actually one of my love languages. I'm your host, Eric Resniak. Please help me welcome the amazing panel for this episode. He can find the wolves in this picture and all of its lines of allegorical dialogue. It's Brendan Hay. I do love that money, Eric. I know, but then why are you on a podcast? Like (laughs) Ken, she also lost interest in the patriarchy when she realized that it does not actively involve horses. It's Carissa Claus. I'm sensing some kind of entendre here, and it appears to be double. It does, but Carissa, can you restart The Godfather and talk over it the entire time? I sure can. I know you can. And finally, if he was a flavor of the month, he'd be a mix of May and December. Welcome back, Kevin Dillon. Oh, Eric, I want to commend you for being brave and showing your arms like that. Well, Kevin, I'm just trying to do my part to make sure that we have enough hot dogs. So our best of episodes are a little bit different than our usual format. There's no polls. There's no brackets. There's barely even any debating. Our panelists are going to do a pop culture show and tell on their individual top three films released this year. Do you disagree with some of our picks? Do you want to add your own favorites to the discussion? Head to greatpopculturedebate.com and leave a comment on this episode or find us on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Mastodon, or Facebook and tell us what you think. With that out of the way, let's get into these top threes. I'm going to start in alphabetical order, and that means Brendan is up first with his first pick. Excellent. Thank you, Eric. Um, So yeah, first one is actually probably the least seen of my picks. Uh, Small American indie, uh, A Thousand and One, uh, written and directed by A.V. Rockwell. It's her debut feature. And um, just to give a little bit of a a quick summary of what the movie is, uh, starting in 1994, uh, it's about a character named Inez. She's a hairdresser released from prison. She returns to see her son, Terry, in Brooklyn. Uh, he's actually recently been hospitalized from trying to escape his group home. So Inez is shaken up by this, how he's feeling abandoned, and decides to take Terry and run off to her childhood neighborhood of Harlem. So that's like just the first 10 minutes. And it's basically how this one action reverberates through both their lives for the next like 15 to 20 years. The movie kind of just keeps moving forward from there. And it might, from that initial description, sound like, oh, this is going to be some kind of like very depressing or tough, precious type of story. It is not. It actually very much just becomes this kind of like very moving slice of life film. It might be more almost like a moonlight 
Mm. There's just like a great amount of warmth and respect for every character. And you kind of just keep being surprised by like, oh, here's another level or point of view that I didn't expect to see or that there's just more depth to everybody if you kind of give them a chance. And the other thing that kind of is really interesting is since we cover so much time in New York City, it also becomes a story of how um, a city's progress is not necessarily progress for its residents. As in, in many ways, New York City is the antagonist in this film, as Amen. Per- particularly as uh, it's a lot of the Giuliani era and how mm. that kind of really it's them trying to survive, uh, survive in New York City, despite New York City. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, just really fantastic film. Uh, also great performances all around, but especially uh, Inez, who's played by Tayana Taylor, who I had never seen before. And just absolutely amazing. Uh, she carries the movie and is this like amazing constant contradiction of like tough but loving, confident but drowning. Uh, just really worth it for her alone. But the whole movie was just this like really pleasant, small surprise um, that also I found, I think, just on Peacock. Like it's one of these just like a I think it might be on Prime now as well, but like just wonderful, small indie film. Highly recommend. Um, one of the things that I think I love the most about our best ofs is that we celebrate some of these smaller films that aren't going to get recognition elsewhere. So that's awesome. Thank you very much for bringing it up, Brendan. Terrific first pick. Um, Did anyone have any thoughts on that? Kevin, have you seen it yet or no? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm really going to try not to raise my hand at all of your movies because I think I've seen (laughs) all of them for the most part. But um, this was a movie that I watched um, like six, seven months ago. And like it has last it has a lasting impression on you. Yeah. And I think Brendan Brendan's impression of like New York city being an integral character in such a, a neat way, like AV Rockwell won the breakthrough director award at the Gotham film awards a couple of weeks ago. And she, it like, it's really good, but I just want to say like overemphasize like Tiana Taylor, who knew that like fantastic singer could give this level yeah. of like Academy Award worthy performance. Absolutely. I would I would love to see it. Um she's great and it's a great film. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you very much. All right, so I will chime in with my first pick. Uh, Mine is Bottoms, and I will concede that this is an odd pick. At least two (laughs) members of this panel gave me the side eye for choosing it, and that's fine. While Bottoms may not be a great film overall, I think it is the most 2023 film that I saw this year, and that's why I'm including it. So Bottoms is not an unimaginatively named gay porno, although gay porn is referenced in it. It is a teen coming of age dra- comedy. I was going to say dramedy. It's a comedy about two lesbian high school friends, PJ played by co-writer Rachel Sennett and Josie played by Ayo Itabiri, who are the bo- at the bottom of the social food chain. Via a rapidly unfolding series of miscommunications and poor choices, the duo end up leading a fight club for girls in their school, ostensibly to teach self-defense, but really so that they can impress and then lose their virginities to the hottest girls in their class. What I absolutely loved about Bottoms was how gleefully subversive it is without a moment's hesitation. Co-writer and director Emma Seligman gives us a full-throated lampooning of the teen comedy plot lines of the 80s projected through a lens of 2020's social and sexual mores. So now the dweeby protagonists are lesbians. The objects of their affection are overly sexualized, but also brilliant in their own way. And while there is the climactic scene at a big school event, a football game in this case, It goes sideways in the most astonishing way possible. I'm not kidding when I say that numerous times throughout this film, I said aloud to myself in the theater, 
what the fuck is happening right now? It is a wild ride. Bottoms also gives us insight into Gen Z in the way that Heathers captured Gen X and Mean Girls captured Millennials. Mm -hmm. Its humor is pitch black in a way I found fascinating. Casual, graphic violence is not shocking to these kids. It's basically an accepted part of their lives. Sexuality is not a pain point for literally anyone in the group. You can fuck whoever you want. Literally nobody cares. The only thing that matters is if you have social clout. It's also frequently hilarious. As soon as I heard the line, would the ugly, untalented gays please report to the principal's office, I felt seen in a way that I had not in a long time. The whole thing is simultaneously performatively over the top and also emotionally numbed. And I just find that fascinating from a social perspective because that's what I see on the social media of the youngs. I really did. I thought it was great. And the whole last act of that football game is one of the most shockingly nihilistic segments I've ever seen in film, especially a teen film. The kids are not all right, but they seem to be all right with being fucked up. So great. Carissa, (laughs) I know you have thoughts on Bottoms. I love Bottoms so, so, so much. Uh, I saw it with my favorite lesbian. We laughed our asses off the whole time. Uh, I love Emma Seligman. She's great. And I think it feels sort of like an emotional air to Bodies, 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 which came out the year before. Like the stuff we're seeing about Gen Z like this is all, I mean, it's all uh, pretty consistent and uh, really ridiculous and incredibly fun. Um, All right. So speaking of comedies that got a lot of play, I'm going to hand it over to Carissa for her first pick. Well, this is a comedy that didn't get a lot of play, I don't think. Um, it's called You Hurt My Feelings, and it's the most recent film by um, writer-director Nicole Hall of Center. And um, with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, the last thing they did together was Enough Said. Uh, the Tobias Menzies is also in this, and he plays Julia Louis-Dreyfus's husband. The premise of the film is that um, Julia is a writer And she overhears her spouse telling a friend in confidence that he doesn't like her newest novel and what that kind of does for everyone in the film. So um, it, it is quietly very, very funny. This is definitely a comedy for adults. <laughs> like, it is for people in their 40s uh, who have been in long-term relationships. Uh, it Like, there's a really great, there's a couple of really great side plots. There's one about a terrible couple and couples therapy. Um, one is... Um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's sister, I think, is a lighting designer, and she's trying to, like, outfit this apartment, and the client is terrible. Also, their child is an aspiring, I think, playwright, and he has a lot of reticence about showing his mom his work, and she just wants to see his work. And so the whole thing spirals in a way that is really quiet and kind of becomes a meditation on marriage and partnership and how to be supportive is tact kindness in that kind of a relationship. You know, what does it mean to be a supportive spouse and what does it mean to be a partner? Um, It's really quietly moving. And it was a thing that I went and saw, thought I would like, but really loved a lot more than I was expecting to. So, Fabulous. I mean, if you like her stuff, this is this is my favorite of hers so far. Uh, but she, Nicole Hall of Center, she just she gets me or I get her. Her her films always hit for me. Brendan, you are part of a writing spouse couple. Uh, and I saw you giving a thumbs up when he, she was talking about the director. Had you seen this movie or are you familiar with it? 
Uh, very familiar with it. It's very funny. Um, yeah, both Jen and I really like Nicole Hollisander's films. Um, since Jen has a book coming out this year, she has had repeated times that we've almost watched this movie and been like, you know, I'm just not in the place to go there. So um, as recently as Friday, like two days ago, we had that exact. We watched the trailer again. She's like, yes, yeah, still not. So um, <laughs> at some point, totally but, uh, yeah. really do want to see it. Yeah, uh, thank you, Kevin. I I did see this as well, and I watched it on a train ride home. Um, and Nicole Holofcener and Julia Louis Dreyfus are a great pair. Michaela Watkins as her sister is hilarious, and more Nicole Holofcener, Michaela Watkins. She's kind of got this like Catherine Keener heir apparent, which is who Nicole Holofcener's first like real big partner was. But um, agreed, and I think the other thing that I love is the way it explores the ability for adults of that generation to not be able to communicate or to build on communication um, and, and like their growth in that space and like what that can look like in a, in a very interesting and dynamic way. Fabulous. Well, thank you. Great pick Carissa and Kevin, why don't you close out round one with your first pick? Yes. So my first pick, I am going to not summarize much of this very, very this film. Uh, is It's All of Us Strangers. It's written and directed by Andrew Hay, um, who has done other films like Weekend and 45 Years. Um, he is an emotional gut punch of a writer-director. This It's kind of uh, biographical in many ways. It follows a, a writer who is trying to come up with the concept of his uh, next film in contemporary London. And uh, it it explores two areas, his past with his parents and a a current potential relationship with a person who lives in his building. Um, I'm not going to say much more than that. It actually, I saw this at New York Film Festival and it has not actually at this time of recording, but maybe by the time you all listen to this, it will be out in your area, but it's not coming out until December uh, 23rd in limited and then in January wide. Um, So... I think the reason this film made it to my list, it stars Andrew Scott in the lead, and it also um, has three fantastic supporting performances from Claire Foy, uh, Paul Mescal, and Jamie Bell. Um, And in this film, you get to explore um, a, a gay man's experience in trust in his own relationships with current partners and how that connects to the experiences you had with had or didn't have with the love that you experienced with your parents. Um, This isn't a spoiler, but his parents did pass away when he was younger. So he's engaging with them in a different way. And I will say that again, I'll leave it at that. And and the film is an emotional gut punch. I left the theater and cried for a lot. So do be prepared for that and be prepared that it's okay not to cry during this film too, because I think as Brendan alluded to hype can be real and or not real and you have to go into the movie like just knowing what the film is about and I think ultimately this is an exploration of how a gay man or anyone uh, navigates their own relationship issues and how their experiences with their parents kind of form and not form those things and it's just a very very beautiful film um, and, and a mature film for Hay and is one of the best of the year and um, I'm excited for folks to engage with it. The more I see people seeing it and loving it, it's just great to see. And the performances are for knockouts. Uh, Andrew Scott, who played Hot Priest in Fleabag, is my, one of my favorite performances of the year. It's so beautiful. 
Great. Thank you. I love Andrew Hay's no relationship to Brendan Hay, I don't believe. No, sadly. <laughs> um, I've, I've loved his work for years. I was like the one person online defending looking when his series was on HBO. Like I was that one person. Um, I just think he's incredibly insightful and um, has a really truthful vision to what it's like to be an imperfect gay man in the 21st century. And I don't think gay men like to admit that they're imperfect ducks as the rocks are thrown at him. So, um, no, nope, you are right, Eric, you are right. Well, thank you very much. That is it for our round one picks. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back for round two of our best of 2023 film episode. Happy holidays from the crew at the Great Pop Culture Debate. While you're running around buying gifts for all the people you love, or at least are obligated to tolerate, why not do something nice for yourself? Specifically, become a Patreon supporter of the Great Pop Culture Debate today. It's like a stocking full of treats. You'll get even more exclusive content, merch, and at the higher levels, you get to join the podcast Discord server, get shoutouts by name in future episodes, and even listen in as we record specific topics. It's the gift that keeps on giving, and tiers start as low as $5 per month. Make a last-minute play to get on Santa's nice list by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com backslash debate today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to our best of 2023 film episode. We're going to move right on to our second round of picks. And Brendan, you're up first. Thank you. Um, so yeah, now I'm going to go to, I feel like, a uh, fairly obvious pick since it's been on so many critics lists and such. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, yeah, for me, my most haunting movie of the year, the one I definitely have kind of like kept tumbling around in my brain the most, uh, especially for how Scorsese managed to make it both intimate and epic at the same time epic uh just for the quick summary for anybody who isn't aware uh it is about how white people methodically killed uh, osage people for their land in the 1920s but then intimate of it's all kind of told through the point of view of this one relationship between a white opportunist Ernest, uh, played by leonardo dicaprio and a kind of too smart for the system she's trapped in osage woman who is wealthy uh, uh who's molly that's played by lily gladstone and uh, her performance especially is also one of the best of the year and just really, I mean, the execution in general uh, by both cast and Scorsese and everybody involved is at the top of their game and turns what could have been a very 
didactic history lesson into something that is incredibly emotional and for being three and a half hours, uh, very nimble on its feet and just kind of really keeps moving and building. Um, but yeah, like, cause yes, it is long, but it doesn't feel like it. Uh, and it also builds to what I think is the best ending scene of the year. It's builds to this like moment that just recontextualizes everything you've seen. Uh, it also, it is an indigenous story from a white point of view. That is a totally valid complaint I've seen out there. Uh, it does even sideline some of its Osage characters at times. I do think that is by intention. I think that Scorsese's out to educate and ultimately indict his white audience. I think it is. So it's one of those cases of like, it may not be a choice that everybody loves, but I think it's all for its own reason. Um, like personally, I did not know this story. Uh, I'm sadly sure many folks did not. So I really do feel like Scorsese wants white audiences to know that this happened thanks to their complacency or their ancestors' complacency. And going along with the patriarchy has this kind of disastrous consequences. So it's a really damning movie, but told in this way that feels like a classic, like John Ford Western type of feeling. Uh, so again, it's just this very entertaining and uncomfortable statement at the same time. Um, but again, also just great performances besides Lily Gladstone. I think it's also the best and least sleepwalked De Niro I've seen in decades. He's incredible in it. The score, the production design, uh, it also deploys every great white male character actor alive, <laughs> uh, which also really helps as you get into like hour three. It's like, oh, cool. He's in this too. So it really gives some nice energy. Um, also, it joins uh, May, December and Oppenheimer in what I feel like was 2023's top genre of white people justifying terrible actions. <laughs> <laughs> It's really the theme for any year. If we're yeah, being exactly true, yeah. true. true. Yeah. yeah, it's just really. Yeah. It's a. It was a good year for that genre, though. There were years yeah. where you know it just get um, you know a beautiful mind, but this time they're really leaning in. Yeah, yeah amazing. <laughs> um, I will just say, and I, and I saw both Kevin and Carissa nodding, and I want to get their opinions on it. But um, I haven't watched it yet, so that's on me, and I have every intention of doing so. But I'm loving that we are getting more stories that are really bringing forth the terrible things that America did to Native Americans in particular. It is something like slavery is its own thing, obviously, and we're, we're grappling with that. But we don't talk about the full-blown genocide that this mm -hmm. company, this country did for a century, two centuries. Yeah. And I'm glad we're finally starting to talk about it in a way that's very real. Um, Kevin, I know you had thoughts on Killers. It's actually my favorite movie of the year, and I like. I think it's. I think it's flawless. I think it's Scorsese, at, like f leaning into exactly what Brendan said around holding systems and the people who are responsible for those systems accountable. And I think that's why the movie is great. Um, and again, I also get the complaint, but I think the story from Scorsese's point of view is that white people are problematic and systematically murdered and destroyed people. And I'm going to show you that. I agree, Re De Niro. It was really <laughs> nice to see him actually give a performance where I was like, man, this guy was great. Like, and he with Scorsese, great. And DiCaprio gives a different performance that mm -hmm. really, um, really works as well. And just want to echo like it, the Robbie Robertson who did the score for this, mm -hmm. uh, who is no longer with us actually. Mm -hmm. So he would be awarded posthumously if mm -hmm. with nominations, that score is 
stunning and haunting and just so, so, so well done. Probably could talk about this movie for hours, so I'm going to stop myself because it's just really, really fucking good. Carissa, have you seen it? I haven't, um, but I read the book when it came out. So I'm familiar with the source material, which is the story is bananas. Like it is insane what happened in broad daylight from places of authority. It is insane. Um, So I haven't seen it yet, but I love Scorsese and I've been really excited to see it. Once I found out that he was doing the adaptation, I was like, oh, great. Like we are in great hands. Um, And so it'll be interesting for me to watch it because he doesn't tend to adapt nonfiction, right? Like Mm this will be really interesting to kind of be semi-familiar with the, you know, source material and see if it, because the source book is pretty factual in the shit that white people did you know yeah. it 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 also holds feet to the fire um so it, it i'm glad that he did it and i really can't wait to see it great excellent thank you so much brendan uh i will go into my second pick which is saltburn i was intrigued by the trailers for emerald fennel saltburn and then i committed to seeing it when great pop culture debate producer bob erlenbach saw it and described it as cruel intentions meets parasite which is true but i also was like it's also the talented mr ripley and yet it's very much its own film through and through Barry Keegan plays Oliver Quick, an awkward student at Oxford University in the mid-2000s. Initially an outcast, he finds and quickly starts to fixate on Felix, the campus crush and the swoon-worthy scion of a minor British lord. Oliver ingratiates himself into Felix's inner circle, and at the end of the school year, after a major tragedy in Oliver's family... Felix invites him to join them for the summer at his family's estate, Saltburn. Oliver then has to find his footing amongst Felix's aristocratic family and their desperate hangers-on as he becomes increasingly entangled with Felix himself. Director and writer uh, Emerald Fennell has reportedly received backlash because Saltburn is not scathing enough in its indictment of the upper class. I'm not sure what movie people were watching because I thought this was pretty brutal across the board. Nobody escapes scrutiny here. And while the characters are all different shades of awful, broken, or both, the cast is all uniformly terrific in bringing them to life. Jacob Elordi plays Felix, and he's a star on the rise. It's easy to see why. This guy is basically an Italian marble sculpture come to life. He is classically beautiful. And yet he has this quiet vulnerability in this role that sometimes had me thinking of Christopher Reeve. Rosamund Pike's steals every scene she's in as Felix's mother, Elspeth, a total nightmare person, a lesser actress would have been inclined to draw the venom for the casually cruel lines that just tumble out of her mouth scene after scene. But Pike evokes maximum impact by having it all be almost detached in an afterthought. Carrie Mulligan is only briefly in the film as an absolute mess of a family friend, but she's great. Alison Oliver is all internal knots as Felix's sister, Venetia, who has numerous absolutely brutal scenes that really impressed me. And then there's Keegan, upon whom the whole picture hangs. I've always respected his acting, but I wasn't sure I could buy him as a leading man who needs to essentially charm and seduce his way into an inner circle. But my God, Keegan is great in this film. The acting is excellent, of course, but he's also incredibly erotic. He's such a dynamic actor, and I absolutely think he's one of the most exciting performers of his generation. Even after everything that happens in this picture, I still found myself rooting for Oliver. The fully nude dance sequence to Sophie Baxter Ellis certainly did not hurt. Um, has anybody seen it? I know I loved it. I love I love Emerald Fennel. I think she's great. Um, everything she does is just awesome. And yeah, no, I the there's that scene in the garden with Venetia um in her nightgown and yeah. like 
we we were like, wait, is this actually happening? That kind of and Rosamund Pike is like she is next level beautiful in this. She is yes. like she feels like a goddess on earth. The whole kind of family is so perfect. And no, I thought it was really great. It was so darkly funny. Yeah. Um and as you said, very scathing. I thought, I, yeah, I also question what were those people watching because it felt pretty scathing to me. Like, yeah. were they not getting it? I like, I was just like, yeah. no, everybody gets absolutely <laughs> yeah. shanked in this movie. Brandon, what did you think? Well, I was gonna say, just on that, I think if anything, people's issue is that it's equally misanthropic towards uh, people who are not rich. I think it mm. really is just like kind of, That's it takes shots at everybody. Um, yeah, the only things I really wanted to add was one. I really appreciate a movie that if I'm thinking something basically the whole time for the first like half hour, I'm like, this is good. It's also kind of the film adaptation of Pulp's Common People. And then there's the joke about Pulp's Common People like a, like 20 minutes later. I'm like, all right, movie. I'm like, you I like you're aware of where you are and what you're doing. And I'm loving you for that. Uh, also, just a shout out to Richard E. Grant who doesn't get quite as much to do, but my God, every little line, like his enthusiastic love of karaoke, like, or the fact that his favorite thing about karaoke is just the words being on the screen. (laughs) It's like all these like little moments, or I get to wear my armor, like things like that. Oh my God. He was so much fun. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm so glad you include this, included this, Eric. It is not anywhere near my top with that said, I really enjoyed it. I think it's, deliciously fun i think the hate that it's getting and i've heard even i have a couple friends who did not like it and hated it and it feels like they're hating it to hate it if i'm being honest and blunt around it it it's the curse of oscar buzz if you Mm -hmm. will sometimes not that every movie we my friend joey who did our best film podcast last year we we love joey we love joey shout out joey moser moser uh we both say to each other all the time, not every movie needs to win an Academy Award. And like, that's the, that like this movie is the perfect amalgamation of talent and like fun. And that's what movies are meant to be. Um, And I also want to say that when I saw this movie and there was a scene with the bathtub, which I just took a bath before this and I wish Barry Keegan was around for it afterwards, um, where um, people like had very visceral groaning, interesting reactions. And I maybe slightly out loud said, okay, everyone, let's not kink shame. Um, (laughs) And this is true. You all know me. I would of course say that. And and that is one of my favorite parts of this movie too. It just Mm -hmm. holds such a special place. It's just fun. It's a fun movie. Yeah, 100%. And everyone be hornier and weirder with movies. Yes. 100%. We need more of that just in cinema in general right now. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Perfect. So with that being said, Carissa, why don't you take us into your second pick? Yeah. Speaking of horny and weird, this is neither of those things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My second pick is Asteroid City, the newest ensemble film from Wes Anderson. It's got everyone. Uh, Brian Cranston is in this and does sort of a narrator framing um, role. Ed Norton is in it. Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson. Plus Maya Hawk, Tom Hanks is the cutest grandpa, and there is a trio of the 
weirdest, most adorable Macbethian witches, triplet, blonde girls who are like four. Um, that is so, so, so much fun. It's uh, This is a director who knows what he's doing and he is flexing those muscles. It's not my favorite of his films. I don't think it's maybe his best, but it is very quintessentially him and it is really charming. Uh, it combines all of the styles he usually does. There's some stop motion animation. There is um, the desert scene is a very curated color palette of bright but washed out. And then there's some black and white stuff. There's a, there's a weird level of framing that happens here where it's like a play within a play and then you're watching the writing process and then the actors are also maybe people interacting and um so that's really interesting. There's also some gay stuff with uh, Ed Norton that happens. That's kind of nice. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like the it, the main premise of it, Asteroid City, is a rural desert city in the mid-50s where there are nearby atomic bomb testings or other kinds of things. And there is a summer camp competition of really smart nerdy space kids um and things kind of go from there but it is uh you kind of can't really say too much about it with a it's just a thing that you need to experience also i will fight anyone who disagrees that this film contains the most adorable and perfect jeff goldblum cameo that has ever existed um it's charming it's visually stunning quirky, whimsical, fun, all the usual Wes Anderson uh, descriptors. And it's currently streaming on Peacock. I saw Brendan getting very excited, especially when you mentioned Jeff Goldblum. Brendan, take it away. It's perfect. That was literally my note was just best use of Jeff Goldblum. Like that movie, 100%. It's it's one of the funniest moments I've seen in a movie this year. Um, But yeah, no, really love this also. And I want to say it just also has this great meditation on like kind of how we try to process grief through art. Um, Yes. So, so fantastic on that. And my one other comment is just – the one who's becoming maybe my favorite member of the ever-growing Wes Anderson ensemble is Jeffrey Wright, who has just a yes. short moment in here, but between French Dispatch and this, my God, he sells the hell out of this moment. And it's such a funny, weird, but kind of moving, but mainly weird scene that he has. And it's just so well delivered. Lovely. Kevin, you had thoughts? Oh, I love this movie so much. And I'm so glad, Carissa, you brought this up because it's a movie that critics really like loved and liked. And I feel like they're leaving it behind for some reason, this critics award season. And I think it's beautiful. The cinematography by Robert Yeoman is like some of the best of the year, maybe if not the best. It's just so beautiful. Um, I love Wes Anderson exploring queerness, as you said, and like even just in its littlest form, it's just so cute is a maybe pejorative way to describe it. But like it's what you'd expect from Wes Anderson because he explores humanity so perfectly. And the evolution of his ensemble, like you said, Jeffrey Wright is a good one. Um, It's and Scarlett Johansson. And this is also quite good. Um, But the best Jason Jason Schwartzman performance I've ever seen and that may not be a high bar for many because he can be a (laughs) no he's a love or hate him kind of personality Uh, and i didn't mean that as shady sorry jason schwartzman i love you um but he's so good in this movie he's so so good um and not getting enough credit 
Yeah, great. He's very leading man here. And he is, like, yeah. But he's also fantastic in Shop Girl, mm-hmm. which is from mm-hmm. so, so long ago. And he's not a leading guy. So, yeah, I, but I see what you're saying. He is a little all over the place and he's really great here. Yeah. Awesome. Kevin, why don't you take us into your second pick? Yes, another actually Asteroid City premiered at Cannes, and this film also premiered at Cannes, which is May-December. May-December premiered at Cannes, did not have a distributor at the time, and was picked up by the Netflix, um, which um, I was, you know, pretty excited excited slash nervous because I like to see Todd Haynes films in a theater. Um, This is a Todd Haynes film who did the films Far From Heaven, Carol, um, Wonderstruck, uh, Velvet Goldmine, Safe, Poison, and he really does such a good job of exploring complex humanity and the uh, varying aspects in in varying different tones. And I think some of his best work lives in the world of melodrama, which that is what this is. It is melodrama, kids, not camp. Uh, Welcome to that conversation. Um, (laughs) It is written by screenwriter Sammy Birch, who was discovered by Will Ferrell, uh, and he championed this and her work in this. Um, And so it obviously discovered by Will Ferrell, so that is where those comedic flares and touches come in this movie it is about uh elizabeth who is an actress played by natalie portman who is exploring a sort of mary Kay letourneau david flau relationship that had happened 20 years earlier it is not actually based on them but there are certain characteristics that do carry over from that real life relationship um it is about elizabeth meeting gracie and joe gracie played by julianne moore and joe 20 years later as they've had a family and grown in some, like they, she gave birth to her first daughter, uh, who was conceived and while and given birth to while she was in jail, like Mary Kay Letourneau, and they have two other twin children. This film is uncomfortable, interesting, awkwardly funny, dynamic, and you really get to see. Um, what this looks like through the eyes of an actress trying to understand what it means to be part of this kind of post-tabloid 1990s world in a modern-day sense. And for me, I've seen it twice now. I will probably watch it again before the end of the year. Every time there's a, a line or something, my intro line is a line that I remember laughing at very hard in the theater when I saw it because I was like, she did not just say that to her daughter. Um, the film delves into manipulation, the racial politics of identity and what that means to fetishize and or misunderstand that along with the age difference and uh and how that can be constrained in an adult youth relationship i know that some folks may be uncomfortable or not want to engage in this subject matter for varying reasons with that said i think the film knows that understands that and is there to support anyone to engage in this material in in a meaningful and and intentional way todd haynes really has crafted that over the years in many different ways and i i think this screenplay by sammy birch is the best screenplay of the year hands down like it's flawless and natalie portman is good in this movie that's another conversation that people are saying she's not she's great in this movie and one of her best performances and Shout out to Charles Melton, who's already winning critics' prizes for this. He's fantastic. Great. I I do want to, Carissa. You're one of the biggest Todd Haynes fans I know. 
Uh, have you seen it? I did. I loved it. I only saw it once. I think it was last weekend. So, But I definitely want to see it again because the way that the plot and the relationships and the events are kind of teased out, nothing is explicit. You don't really – like until that very last scene, which is the, the film that they're making of the story, you're kind of like, oh, wait. Oh, is that, that maybe uh, – is this a scene of what maybe happened? Um, it's – it's really well done. The leads are also great. Um, and I think there is a really interesting thing here about maybe emotional stunting that happens in this kind of a way, like long-term repercussions of, you know, this relationship uh, is still a relationship. They have children by from the outside, although there's a weird age gap, like it seems like a successful relationship until you get to know a little bit more about the dynamics and the people and how they are. Now, I thought it was absolutely stunning and definitely requires at least two watchings, if not more, which is excellent for us that it's streaming on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brenda, do you want to say something about it? Yeah, no, I uh, absolutely love the two. It actually be in my top three of the year. Also, I love this movie. And just the one other aspect I really loved is I think it also got to this thing of how art can never fully capture the truth of any situation, like the way it just kept building throughout. So it's just so, so well and so masterfully. Um, yeah, no, I, I just agree with everybody else here. All right, so thank you. That is it for our second picks. We're going to take another quick break, and we will be back for our picks for the best films of 2023. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. We are back with the last round of our best of 2023 film picks. Before we wrap things up, I want to ask our panel, where can people find you on social media and what else are you working on? Brendan, you can go first. Uh, sure. I'm still hanging around the corpse of Twitter uh, at B underscore Hey. Uh, you can also find me over on Instagram at uh, Brendan Hay Writer. And I'm on Blue Sky also, which I think is also B underscore Hay. And then also beyond socials, uh, yeah, Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai season one is currently on Max. Uh, very proud of it coming out this year. So please check it out. We'll have season two coming out sometime in 2024. Love it. It's a wonderful show. If you haven't watched, it's great for kids and for adults. We were completely hooked. So Yay. thank you for your contributions to cinema this year. Uh, Carissa, <laughs> where can people find you and what else are you working on? These days, I'm online at Carissa Kloss on Instagram. But if you actually want to interact with me, you should become a Patreon, join our Discord. I'm very active there, always talking shit about whatever I'm watching now and usually arguing with producer Bob about something <laughs> related <True>. to Survivor. <laughs> yes. 
I, I'm true. arguing with him about something different, more likely. <laughs> true. And, and watching Kevin and Bob argue, and also when they agree, it feels even worse. Kind yes. Of. You know something's wrong with the universe. Uh, on that note, Kevin, where can people find you? What are you working on? I am on Twitter as well still. I don't think I'm ever leaving. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'd have to take something really bad. It's just too entertaining sometimes. Uh, I am at uh, on Twitter at E.T. Kevin's Mind. And you can find me. I forgot that I changed my name on Instagram to this, but it's fun. Nightwing underscore Cyclops. Uh, so you can find me at Eric Resniak on Instagram. Make sure you're following at Great Pop Culture Debate on Instagram and TikTok and at GPCD on Mastodon. I believe we are also on blue sky as well though i completely forgot we had that until brenda just mentioned it um and we are working to off ramp from twitter slash x it's just um why can't i quit you um but that being said let's get into these final round of picks brendan you're up first my as i just from my little intro there working working on gremlins i work in animation uh so that's my full disclosure before i get to my final pick because it is highly biased of as somebody who's been working animation for like 15 to 20 years trying to make all ages content not content i hate that word trying to make all ages entertainment for everybody um this year i feel like i saw the best example of that it's just the most inspiring movie it was the movie i saw the most and also i think the most movie uh that'd be spider-man across the spider-verse um yeah, it was just every maximalist uh, dream I've had of what you could do in a movie like this. I'm going to go full stiff on and just uh, go with how this movie has everything. Yeah, it just somehow manages to juggle absolutely gorgeous aesthetically. There's also this, there's this great uh, character-driven story about not letting others or the world decide your narrative. At the same time, there's also this emotional theme about how past generations maybe are defined by their trauma and they try to pass that on to younger generations. It's there's also like these two great parent child relationships that the kind that you never see in a superhero movie where parents are usually frankly cannon fodder to like motivate somebody. And instead, it's like really diving into just what how this how choices could impact this kind of a relationship. Um, I mean, the whole thing is just the storytelling is dense, yet snappy and nimble. There's like just so much going on in its runtime. But I love that the movie's still slowing down to just dig into all of its characters. Um, I mean, there's also just going through, there's a meta narrative about who's a real Spidey and basically toxic fandom that just tries to think it can decide who's authentic and who's not. And I mean, the whole thing even starts off with a rock opera overture, um, which again, it's just literally everything I could have possibly wanted. And it's hilarious. Like I still have been rewatching it regularly now, just always catching another joke, another visual gag. Cause it's again, it is just so filled. It's, um, kind of in, to me, it reminded me a lot of everything everywhere all at once. And it just felt mm. like this was somebody using every tool and trope they had to tell a really personal, unique story uh, so yeah i i just it left me so exhilarated and wanting to watch it again wanting to make things like it so yeah i just keep revisiting it i'm excited for the next chapter but a i want them to take their time so they can be kinder to their crew and b um honestly i think it's also i kind of there's a part of me that almost doesn't want the sequel i feel like a this has complete character arcs and b it, there's something even more comic booky about it being like it's just a chapter in a story and i don't you know it's like i do sure i want to see more of these characters in the plot resolve but honestly i just love this like perfect standalone adaptation of everything comics can be but in a totally different medium and pushing that medium forward that's lovely am i crazy isn't the sequel supposed to come out in 2024 yeah it's not they uh, it's not. i think okay. they, they pulled it from the schedule and from what i hear expect like 26 
Okay. And we haven't talked... Who's the directors of this? Oh, thank you so much. It is uh, Joaquin Dos Santos, uh, Justin K. Thompson, and Kemp Powers. Uh, The three of them directing together. All three, absolutely amazing. They've all made amazing stuff in the past. This is kind of their first chance to really step up and work together. And then you still have Miller and Lord in the uh, writing with that team and producing. So just I think it's also a lot of great sensibilities and point of views all fused into one thing. Great. And uh, is it currently on Disney plus or is it on Netflix? Uh, It's on Netflix at the moment. It's a Sony, the Sony side of Marvel. Um, Yeah. And also I will say one last thing. Also great year for animation in general, which was just very nice to see because it was like this, uh, Nimona, Elemental, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, Yeah. It's really American animation. I feel like stepped it up in a lot of ways this year and wasn't just more of the same. Great. Well, thank you very much for that pick, Brennan. Um, I will launch into my final pick. It is Taylor Mac's 24-decade history of popular music. I found this gem of a documentary via HBO's Max app and was immediately intrigued by the description. Performance artist Taylor Mac condensed their multi-part touring show exploring American popular music into a one-day, 24-hour, non-stop experience held in a Brooklyn theater. Starting in the 1800s, Mac explores the songs that were popular in America a decade at a time, performing them along with an orchestra led by music director Matt Ray. It's not just an overview of the songs that were popular over the course of two centuries, but it's an examination of what those songs said about the American experience at the time and a closer inspection of the text of those songs many of us learned decades ago, but never realized the sometimes shocking origins. It's educational, it's emotional, and it's revelatory. The documentary boils down the 24-hour experience that the people had in the theater to less than two hours, but I lost track of the number of times I thought, God, I regret not seeing this in person. There are numerous surprising moments from the show where Mac would engage the audience directly, bringing them into the event instead of simply witnessing it. This is a real pro at work, and it's a gift for us to have this committed to film. It's also sumptuous. In addition to documenting the performance itself, the film shows us behind the scenes details and introduces us to some of the key crew members behind the experience, including Ray, as well as costume designer Machine Dazzle. When I tell you that Dazzle's creations for Mac, which weave in historical commentary from the decades being covered, in addition to being high fucking drag, left me gagged, that's an understatement. It is capital A art across the board from everybody involved. I found this film to be simultaneously exhilarating and inspirational. These brilliant creative minds operating at peak unfettered expression but also deeply sad. Underpinning all of this is a critique on America and what it has done across its history to marginalized communities, especially the queer community. That subtext very much becomes text as the show moves into the 20th century when homosexuals were at least acknowledged by society in general, and then into the AIDS crisis that decimated an entire generation of queer artists. Taylor Mac lived through that epidemic and hearing them discuss their experience in it, funneling it through this project is so powerful and a real privilege. When I think about the countless number of artists who could have produced their own version of this kind of work, their own magnum opuses, whose voices were silenced in part by a government that was happy to let them die, I'm crushed. But I'm also grateful that some of them, like Taylor Mac, survived and that they are brave enough to share their perspectives with us now. If anything I've said to you in this bit interests you, please watch this film. It's available on HBO Max. It was hands down, uh, I think, the most moving and interesting cinematic experience I had all year. Carissa, had you happened to see it or no? No, but I'm also sold. And I also I I've seen fewer documentaries than docu series this year, but I've also really not been impressed. There, and I'm a sucker for those. I love them. I feel like the bar for me to love them is real low. Um, 
And yeah, so I'm excited for something really great. And yeah, totally sold by your description. It sounds amazing. Great. Well, why don't you lead us into your next pick? Well, I'm sure you all cannot guess that I would be discussing the obvious number one film of the year, uh, Greta Gerwig's Barbie which is uh, broke so many records, which we'll talk about. Um, but Barbie, Greta Gerwig, uh, wrote and directed a film taking a toy IP and building a story around it, starring Margot Robbie as Barbie, uh, stereotypical Barbie, and Ryan Gosling as Ken. And the premise is that Barbie, for reasons, has to leave Barbie land and go to the real world. Ken joins her. And they encounter patriarchy, which hits different for Ken, and he brings it back to Barbie land and things ensue. Um, This movie is a film juggernaut. It was a cultural moment. I saw it twice in the theater. I wore pink. Um, There were part, it was part of the Barbenheimer weekend, and it definitely won, I believe. Uh, It's made over $1.4 billion worldwide. It's the biggest female solo-directed film of all time. Greta Gerwig is the first woman to helm a billion-dollar film. Made $155 million opening weekend. It's the 11th highest-grossing film ever domestically. These stats are from, I think, September, October. This is a film that brought a conversation about feminism and the patriarchy to pop culture in a way I was shocked at how openly it was embraced by the entirety of this audience. It felt like a niche conversation to me because of the subject matter. And the fact that it was not was refreshing and overwhelmingly wonderful. America Ferreira as Gloria, a um, former Barbie designer in the real world, um, has one of the best monologues that has ever happened on film about the difficulty of being a woman in current society. Uh, this film is, it's, it is everything. It is funny. It has glitzy dance numbers. It leans hard into nostalgia in a way that is incredibly exacting to the originals, just like the scale of prints in Barbie's clothes. Everything is so well considered. Um, it is fun. It is wonderful. I was so, so moved seeing this in the theater. I cried. I cried both times I saw it, and I will cry again. It is it is a thing of beauty. I don't know. If you don't know anything about this movie, like, I don't – must have lived under a rock or been in a coma <laughs> because it's everything. Barbie's everything. Ken is everything. Um, and long live Greta Gerwig. Yeah, I think it's the movie story of the year. There were a lot of expectations going into it from a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And I think it is the rare movie that actually satisfied them all. The only people yeah. that didn't seem happy were the neckbeards who uh, gleefully <laughs> identified themselves. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's very helpful because mm-hmm. now you all know who not to fuck. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> um, Kevin, uh, do you have thoughts on Barbie? And then take us into your final pick. Yeah, um, I will just say I want to echo the music piece. Um, It shows that music can be engaged in film in a meaningful way, and people are not afraid of music's engagement in film when it's fun, popular, or connects to the story. Uh, And this got, I want to say, I think it was eight or nine Grammy nominations um, and some big categories, which is super cool. And just like a last story to leave out, I went to go 
I live in New York and I went to Midtown Comics to pick up comics and um, I was wearing my hat because there's really great apparel from this too that says I am Knuff. And the guy who was pulling my comics was like, I love your hat. I have the sweatshirt. I didn't want to see this movie at all. And my girlfriend was like, if I'm going to Oppenheimer, you're coming to Barbie. <laughs> and he was like, and then I loved it. And we were Ken and Barbie for Halloween. He showed me the picture. Um, and I think to Brennan's point, that is the power of what a movie is supposed to be. And anyone who doubts how powerful this film is, you're, you're wrong. Like you're it's wrong. just, you're wrong. Like there's no other way to put it, whether you like it or not. And it's okay. It, it's such a powerful experience to bring people to the theater in a color and to show up in full force is, is rare. Yep. Agreed. So why don't you tell us about your oh, final pick? Yes. We're, we're switching from a real upper to a real downer. So sorry about that one, folks. Uh, my last pick is Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest, um, uh, which was also released at the Cannes Film Festival and won the Grand Prix Award, which is the second most prestigious award at uh, can I saw this at the New York Film Festival. Shout out to Film at Lincoln Center for doing and putting together, I want to say, one of the best slates uh, for film festivals and, and just creating a really good experience. Um, and so this film is about a commandant who lives on a con- uh, lives outside of a concentration camp. He runs Auschwitz, and it is about the mundanity of uh, the life of he and his wife as they try to... Uh, keep a home with their three children as they try to build a beautiful garden. And as his wife clings to the status of what it means for her to be married to the commandant at Auschwitz. So perpetuating what you could only imagine around this time within this part of the world and what folks are engaging with. As we live in troubling times these days in what is going on in the world uh, around religion and people's experiences it is a tough sell in many ways for some folks and i would imagine that this is not going to be an easy watch um for folks to engage with what i will say um that jonathan glazer does in this film um with his cast and uh the understanding of this life is is to kind of quietly show the horror of what this experience would look like and there's no overt crazy moments that exist, but rather what does this look like? Um, I think for me, the standout in the film is Sandra Huller, who's also in another film this year, Anatomy of a Fall. She plays the commandant's wife and um, her engagement around uh, Jewish identity and the way she talks about it is frightening and horrifying and terrible and brutal and, uh, I think really important for us to engage with in a meaningful way. And this movie is, is um, the cinematography really points to the horror of what exists around them. You never actually engage or go into the concentration camp. You never enter Auschwitz. And I think the whole point of that is to just kind of constantly be an outsider in the horror that goes on around this. There is a scene that I think is probably one of the best scenes in the movie where Sandra Huller's mother comes to visit and uh, she's engaging with them and talking about it with an anti being anti-Semitic during this conversation with her daughter. And then all of a sudden later at night, she sees 
fire and what is going on outside of their homes. And the next day she leaves. Um, and I think that moment alone, and I, I hate to spoil it, but it is one of the most haunting moments I've seen in, in film have ever. Um, and Jonathan Glazer is not an easy director, but a four for four person directed Sexy Beast, um, Under the Skin, and Birth uh, with Nicole Kidman. And he is just a person who can really take these complex matters and complex aspects of life and and give them justice. And that's what you will get from this movie. It is coming out in limited release uh, on December 15th in New York and LA and will be out in uh, a wider release again in, in the uh, year 2024. So... Uh, if you want to sit through this experience, I highly recommend this movie because it is very, very good. Again, hard sell, but very great film. So earlier I said that Bottoms was the most 2023 film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in a way, I actually think this is the most 2023 film of the year or possibly the most 2024 film of 2023. I think this is a film that needs to exist right now as we go into the next election because you keep hearing it could never happen here. It could never happen here. And what I got from your description of the film is that it really only takes people to just stand by as unthinkable things happen because it's not happening to them. And they find a way of normalizing it and just living in their lives. Like, well, it's no big deal. Like as we live and breathe right now, there are literally atrocities happening in multiple zones on the planet. And, you know, I'm over here kikiing about, you know, don't fuck the guys who don't like Barbie. I think it is important for us to have that kind of slap and wake up call to be like, the stakes are actually not that low. And I yeah. think we all need to a reminder of this that like it's happened before and you are a fool if you do not think that it will happen here again. I was going to say, I know we are about to wrap up, but I do feel like we've all seen it. So we also should just talk about Oppenheimer like yeah, quickly. We, we haven't talked about yeah, Oppenheimer. We, have, we didn't sure. talk about it and I don't want film bros to be mad at us. So. Film bros, come, 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 come get me. Us, I, come Look, we're clearly a podcast for film bros. So I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. Oppenheimer. It was, it was a thing. Good. It's very it really popular. Good. I good. actually haven't seen it It's yet. really good. I, haven't I, seen I it thought yet. it was oh. really good. It's good. It yeah. it it's it's a good movie. It's yeah. got a great score. It looks beautiful. It's got great performances. I think not it's the, uh, not the women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I haven't do. seen it yet. I heard it barely passes the Bechtel test. Like, yeah. like I, 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 I was actually five. surprised it does. If it does, um, like five words or something. Yeah. yeah. There's one female. I th- actually thought Emily Blunt was pretty great in her very small role like i I think it's basically she gets like one or two scenes to really shine um but overall it was a movie where i was very impressed by the structure and i was like man you are taking a very standard biopic and elevating it solely through your filmmaking choices and your writing structure yep yeah um i i haven't seen it as i said but the sense i get from is it's the perfect movie for your dad this christmas buy it on dvd (laughs) so uh that being said those are our picks did you watch any of them do you have any opinions is there something that's to be missed this episode is just the beginning of the discussion so let us know your favorites on social media and at greatpopculturedebate.com a big thank you to my panelists if you enjoyed this episode please make sure you check out our other great pop culture debate best of 2023 episodes devoted to tv music and books and all either out now 
are releasing before the new year. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever else, and that you follow us on all the socials so that you get the latest news. And if you haven't yet supported us on Patreon, what are you waiting for? There are so many great perks, and we'd love to have you as part of our little pod family. And buckle up, because the Great Pop Culture Debate has plenty in store for 2024. Head to greatpopculturedebate.com right now to vote in the remaining polls for Season 9. We're talking Best James Bond Film, Best 80s Teen Film, Best Tabletop Board Game, Best Classic Hollywood Star, and that's just to name a few. Then in January, we'll be back with our Patreon-sponsored episodes, which include Best 90s Dance Hit, Best TV Family, Best Nintendo Villain, and more. We look forward to an amazing 2024, and remember, everyone is entitled to their wrong opinions. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.